Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Well, I'm, you know, well, honestly, I'm not doing very well. What's wrong? Well, I'm at my back. Oh, no. I, I, I hesitate to say that I threw my back out because that is something that only happens to men who are consigned to a lifetime of pain and suffering. Okay. <laughs> I have never had lower back problems. Right. You had and, a back issue, but it was, it was your upper back, Yeah, my right? shoulders hurt. Right, right, but, right. But I've never had a lower back issue. And about 10 days ago, my kid and I went to a, a, a event that involved bringing a bunch of sleeping bags to a high school gym and spreading them out. And I lay down on this and started talking to uh, a local uh, dad who turned out was part of the, uh, he was one of the coordinators of a, of the big transportation package that is going into Seattle, the big subway that they're building here. Okay. So I got fascinated by him and started talking to him. And uh, my kid from across the room ran I was, you know, laying on a sleeping bag. Oh, no. I already know what you're going to say. Ran and jumped <sighs> and landed in the small of my back with both of her knees. Oh just like God. fully just put her entire weight oh on my back. God. She's, she's like, growing. She's not a little tiny thing anymore. No. Did it from the air and without warning. Oh, you know, so God, I wasn't. It's the worst. Oh, my God. And it hurt terribly. Damn right. But then, you know, I shook it off and, and I felt no more trouble but then a couple of mornings ago i was getting her out of bed and i kind of and she was like she slumped down on the floor and grabbed her blankets and i was like can't have your blankets baby it's time to get up and i grabbed her from under her uh you know from her armpits and lifted her up and got her on her feet and said you know get dressed time for breakfast didn't you know and it kind of i think i felt a little moment there where you feel it sometimes like where you're a, like, like a oh, twinge of not even really a twinge. It was just like a reminder to lift with your knees. Yeah. You know, and you feel those all the time. Like, yeah. Oh, right. You know, it's not our, nothing hurts. It's just like, Oh, I'm a little overextended. But then half an hour later I was standing in the kitchen and I felt it wasn't like something went pop. It was just, you know, I turned and I went, oh, my back hurts. I wonder what that's about. And by 20 minutes later, I was hobbling. And I went upstairs and I lay down and I kind of just like was in a lot of pain and couldn't sit up. I spent all day in bed. And then yesterday, it seemed like it was kind of getting better. I had a heating pad. Yeah. I tried to stretch out a little bit. And then I woke up again this morning and I'm just like incapacitated, Uh, you know, like I get up on my feet and, and I'm just like inching and I had appointments this morning. So I had to drive into town and walk around downtown with, uh, with my little girl and was just, you know, I was, I was mobile, but I was, I couldn't, my back was not like, I couldn't pick a, uh, I couldn't pick an orange up off the ground right now. I don't think I could 
I mean, I had a hard time bending down to kiss my daughter on the forehead and ended up not being able to. I, I bent down and, you know. I, I completely understand what you're talking about. That was me for years. In, really? in the situation you're describing now, that would be an average, average day. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, it is miserable. Had, but you can, you can no get idea. better. But yeah, it is horrible. Couldn't, I couldn't well, sit down. I couldn't sit. I couldn't drive. Couldn't do anything. The thing, I'm, the thing I'm worried about is, you know, I've never had a back problem and I know from other, from friends and stuff that once you develop a lower back issue, then it becomes this reoccurring problem the rest of your life. And every time you're like bending over, you're, oh, my back went out. Now I'm screwed up for a, for a week. That, that is correct if you don't do something about it. But if you do something about it, it doesn't have to be that way. Assuming, assuming that you haven't had like a herniated disc or something like that, assuming that this is not that kind of injury, if it's related more to muscle or something like that, obviously uh, that's a different thing if you've like herniated or slipped a disc or whatever. But if you haven't done that, and even if you have, I mean, even if you've done that, you can still get, you can still get better. But I mean, I can give you I can give you a regimen that will help you because I came well, back from that. I spent I spent 3 to 5 days a month in bed with back pain. Oh damn. And every night uh when I was going to bed, I would have uh, go to bed with ice on my back and yeah, it was it was really 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 bad. So but I, I mean I'm fine. The- I'm fine now, but I mean it took me a year or more, maybe two years to get to be just good. Um, how, how do you tell the difference between a back like if injury? you have a herniated disc or something? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's something that a lay person could, could do. Um, but like a, a, a doctor could tell you pretty quickly if, if this is like a, a sprain or, or I don't know if that's the right word. If this is like just you hurt the muscles in some way, or this is something that, but I mean, even if you did, even if something was, my guess is the fact that you're able to like move around at all and, and get around tells me that it, it's probably not severe. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I mean, they don't let me practice anymore. Right. Of but, course, because of the incident. Right. Yeah. Right. But, um, if I had to just guess based on what you're saying is my, my guess is um, it, this is something you could probably just recover from on your own. But I mean, if you're in a lot of pain, like dude, I know you probably hate doctors as much as I do, but you might want to get someone like what I did. Um, the, and I have some information here that uh, my research assistants have provided that I can read to you in a second. But the doctor that I went to, I was very, very skeptical of uh, chiropractic doctors because yeah. my understanding was that it was a whole lot of, uh, to, to, to use your term, tomfoolery. Well, you know, when I was growing up, uh, my best friend's dad was an orthopedic, yeah. uh, an orthopedist. Like a, like a surgeon? Uh, he was like a, I don't think he, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether he's they like to cut They like to cut on you. Like they want you in there. They want to start cutting. No, this was a guy that, you know, this was a doctor, a very respected doctor who was, you know, part of a major sort of pain management group. Right. And, 
Um, and he, and this is of course in the early eighties. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, he was so contemptuous of chiropractic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, you know, it instilled in me at a young age, this idea that it was just a cult and right. so forth and so on. And, um, have I ever told you my, my first experience with the chiropractor? No. Okay. I have, t- I have two, two stories you'll like. And I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little rest today, since you're convalescing. I'll 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 take a little bit of the load uh, for you. Um, so you. the first one, I was I was a, a young boy in school. I couldn't have been more than ten years old. I'm guessing fourth, maybe fifth grade time period. And uh, this was a time period in school when periodically, for some reason, a parent would come to the class and talk about what they did in their career. They would just mm-hmm. show up, come in show up and they would say, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a chiropractor. And so they picked one of the kids from the class, not, not the, not the guy's kid, just a, another kid and had him sit up in the front of the class. And he said to him, okay, hold your left arm out straight and like shoulder level. And so he did that. And then he pressed something on the kid's neck and he said, okay, put your arm down. And he couldn't, he couldn't put his arm down. He's like, I can't, I can't put it down. I can't put it down. He's like, all right, now hold on. He goes, pop, did something. And the kid's arm went down. Now, I think today they would arrest him and, and you know, that would be some kind of weird child <laughs> abuse. But back then it was just like everyone clapped. Like, this is really cool. So I like, I was like, oh, chiropractors seem kind of cool. You can like, yeah, it's like do stuff. stuff. Yeah. Like Vulcan stuff. Uh, so anyway, I, I, my back was in such pain. This was like, I don't know, a few years ago, four or five years ago. That I'm like, and I went in and I went to like a regular uh, doctor and this is, okay, no, I take that back. This was longer. This was 10, 11 years ago because we were trying to uh, get pregnant for the first time. And the guy's like, okay, we need to take some x-rays. I'm like, my understanding is x-rays can affect like sperm motility or something. And Mm -hmm. we're trying to have a kid. He's like, oh, well, we can't do x-rays. Sorry, I can't help you. Like he literally said, you, you can leave now. Like he was all about cutting. He all, he wanted to cut. And so then I, I went to a chiropractic doctor. So I was like, I need to do something. And she brought me in and she says, okay, sit in this, uh, in this chair. And it looked like a big, like a, 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 a big dentist chair almost, but it had these weird, like bat pieces in the back part looked like they they were like, you could pull them out or put them in or adjust them. And I thought, okay, she's going to do something with me in this chair. So I'm sitting in the chair and she says, okay. And she says, where's, you know, where does it hurt? And I kind of said where it hurts. And she says, okay. And so she hits some buttons and the back of the chair goes like that and pops. And like part of the chair just like popped out like the back popped out. And she's like, okay, you're done. I'm like, what did you do? She's like, well, this chair helps with the adjustments. I'm like, but you didn't do anything. The chair just mm-hmm. back part of the chair just popped off. And she's like, mm-hmm. that's, but that's the technique. You'll, you'll see, you'll feel better tomorrow. And I, I didn't. And after that, I was like, chiropractors, this is crap. This is nothing. Mm-hmm. And so flash forward to like, I don't know, three or four years ago. And one of my friends, I was talking about my, my back issues. And she said, listen. She said, I know how you feel about chiropractors. She said, but the lady that I go to is a chiropractor, but that's not what she does. She does something called active release therapy, 
She's like the do- she's the primary doctor for UT's like basketball program and football program. Like she's like the- active release therapy. Yeah. So so this I'm like listen at this point I was popping Advil and Aleve constantly. I was like I would spend days a, a month like I said in bed. It was I was in misery. I was putting ice on like throughout the day. I couldn't sit. Like I couldn't sit. I would have to stand. So I had to get like a standing desk because I couldn't even sit down. Getting in and out of the car would take me like five minutes of like careful maneuvering. If I dropped a piece of paper on the floor or my keys, I'd be like, well, I guess I can't leave because my keys are on the floor. So mm-hmm. like I would have to slowly shut up computer. I would have to like slowly like maneuver myself down and basically be laying down on the ground and put the keys on the desk and then like pull myself up. It was horrible, horrible. So mm-hmm. long story short, I went to, to this woman very reluctantly. I'm like, worst case scenario, it's going to be another chair. And is this a, is this the, uh, the, the subduction one or is this the, is she a chiropractor or the other kind? This she is a chiropractor. Um, okay. and, uh, and so I went in and I said, listen, I said, I don't want to be adjusted. I don't want any, I don't know what's going on. I don't want any of that. I said, I just want you to do this other thing. She's like, okay, that's fine. Whatever you want. She's super cool. Jill. And, uh, and I said, you know, but, but, and, like I was having trouble walking around cause this had come after I had gone to WWDC and I wound up stuck in my hotel room for like half of the time, just in bed with ice because I couldn't walk. And, uh, and, and all of that came from loading my carry on bag into the, uh, overhead compartment, the overhead bin. Just the Ouch. act of doing that uh, was so much that it it put me into a situation. So, like, I would take with me on an, on any plane ride, I would take three of those little, you know, those gel pack things or whatever they are. They have like a uh, stuff inside of them, and you like you crunch them together, and then the stu- chemical combines, and it causes like a super cold reaction. Mm-hmm, so it's like a cold mm-hmm, pack mm-hmm. that's like an instant cold pack. Okay, I like would travel with those so that I could, you know, after half an hour in the seat, I could bring one of those out. Uh, I was having sciatica. Dude, I was like the worst. And so anyway, I go to Jill. 20 minutes in there, she did whatever she's pressing and she does certain things and like moves your legs and presses on a thing and, and press on your back. There's no adjusting or anything because it's not chiropractic that, that active release therapy is. I walked out of there. I'm like, this is the first time I haven't been in, in pain in like weeks. It completely mm. changed my whole game. And Rawr. yeah. And so I went to her for a while and I would I was going like a couple times a week my my own choice. She, she didn't like you have to. I was like, I want, I want to, because it was the only way I could get relief. And eventually she convinced me, she's like, you need to like start like lifting and doing weights and doing training. And I started out like I couldn't do a single sit up. I couldn't even do a sit up because it was too painful. And eventually, you know, you know my story of deadlifting and I don't need to go through all that again, but here's some things I want to run by you. So you went to her every week because the pain returned? Yeah, because uh, because the fact was I wasn't really developing any muscles and and needed to strengthen my whole my whole back and core was underdeveloped because I had mm-hmm. never used it. I had never done anything with it. I didn't have great posture. I sat at a computer. You know, all the things you could possibly do wrong, I I did wrong. And uh, I would go to her because she was now, there are a lot of people who would just go in a couple times and they'd be fine. They'd be fixed. And that's the way that I am now. If I tweak something now, I can go in once, maybe twice. And she straightens me out. It's fine. I leave them fine. I don't need to go back unless I pull something else. But 
generally speaking, that's rare now, but that's because I put in a couple years really hard of like powerlifting and strength training. And I had to work up to that. Like I had to work up from not being able to pick my keys up off the ground to, you know, being able to deadlift 250 pounds or whatever. So, I mean, that, that was a long journey. Um, but so, okay, I need to, here's some things I'll get some information that my uh, assistants have provided in general, uh-huh. Uh-huh. disc herniations hurt both with bending forward and with returning from bending up to an upright position, back strains, disc herniation. Yes. So d- does it hurt both when you're bending forward and returning? Does both, do both of those hurt? Yeah. Back strains or sprains tend to hurt less when bending forward and more with returning from a forward bend. So can you bend forward with without pain and then when you lean back up it, it hurts again or what? Uh I mean I'm in general pain. I mean I'm I'm just sitting still right now and I'm in pain. My yeah. lower half is in pain. Yeah. I don't find it easy to bend forward or back up. Do you have shooting pain or numbness that travels down one of your legs? Or is it centralized uh, pain that's just focused on the lower back? It's centralized pain. That's more like a sprain or a strain than than a than a, a disc uh, herniation. Um, do you, so you don't have like a weakness in one of your legs. No. Have you stubbed your toes while you've been walking during this process? No. Okay, that's good. Because oh, herniated good. herniated discs, uh, you know, this you have like a leg like a can have like a leg weakness and things like that. Uh, do you have dulled patellar or a heel cord reflex on one side? Uh, dull, dulled patellar or heel. Well, I haven't checked my reflex. Well, let's get your heel cord reflexes checked on both sides. How are we going to How are we going to go about that? I don't know. I'm going to look that up. Maybe it's something you could have your daughter do. Okay. All right. Um, but basically what you do is you would dangle your, uh, you sitting down, you dangle your legs off the side of the, of the table. Okay. I'm sure you've got a doctor's table in your in your uh, barn or something. Absolutely, I do. Uh, then you would have your daughter uh, hit your patellar tendon with a rubber hammer just below the kneecap. Right, okay. And that will make your lower leg jerk. You've seen that, where your leg yep. jerks, right? I know, I know it quite well. If yeah. one leg has a muted response, then you could have a herniated disc. Oh. Do you have adequate bowel and bladder control, or is it compromised? Uh, it is not uh, compromised. Okay. Because if that happens, immediately go to a doctor right away. Sure. Uh, but things you can do in the meantime, do you have a foam roller? Uh, I you don't would, think so. You would know, I think. No, I don't believe I do. Um, that is something that was, it was super helpful. Super foam helpful roller. for me. Yeah. But you, want, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to ask Dr. Jill if she knows anybody in... Uh, in the Seattle area, who does the active release stuff? Because you go in there, they'll they'll figure you out instantly. Do you know anyone in Seattle that does? Okay, I've asked the question. Maybe They're we'll get an figure answer me out the instantly. Show. Yeah, they'll know you right away what's going on. There's another uh, thing you can. Oh, I, here's something you can do right away because you don't like you don't take Advil and stuff, right? Because it's you don't like that. Uh, at the, uh, in my current situation, I would take an Advil. Okay. Um, ice don't use. Okay. Th- I'm telling you what I've been told. Don't use a heating pad. Use ice, ice, uh-huh. 
and you want to do 15 or 20 minutes on, 15 or 20 minutes off. If you leave it on too long, it can cause skin issues, problems, whatever. So 15, 20 minutes on, 15, 20 minutes off. Ice. And the reason that they do ice is because you want to reduce the inflammation. Ice, in my experience, does not feel good. I don't like the feeling of the ice. You don't want it on your skin. It, it, it's not a good feeling. And you think heat. Then you put the heat on. You're like, ooh, this feels good. Like it almost is like a massage. Like it's helping my back. It, it's uh-huh. loosening. It feels like it's loosening it up. And uh, yeah, uh-huh. this is better. You actually can make it worse because that's increasing the inflammation. It's increasing uh, the, the, the will, will wind, even though it feels good while you're doing it, it will make it potentially make it worse. Oh. I've, I've been told over and over and over and over, Dan, don't do, don't do, do ice every time. So you want to do ice. That's the first thing. Put ice, get an ice pack or, uh, you know, a bag with ice in it and put that on for 15 or 20 minutes at a time and then take, take a break from it. That's the first thing. Um, do you can do that right now. The second thing is, um, there are stretches and things that you can do, but I don't know if, if that's something you want to do, but the ice is going to be like a lifesaver for you. The other thing that you can do, um, there is something called a, a TENS unit, T-E-N-S, TENS therapy, okay? And what this thing is, is it's a little, I'll put a, I'll, I'll send you a link to this. It's a little like a plastic box that attaches to a little pad and the pad is more like, it's almost like a sticker that sort of attaches to your back. And this little box sends a little electric charges, little electric energy. Oh, energy. That almost feels like tapping. I need that tapping energy. And, and it will, it it will relieve. This is not a hocus pocus thing that this is a real thing. Um, and I'll put a link to it's called tens therapy. I'll put the Wikipedia, uh, link to it. Um, but what it stands for is a transcutaneous electric nerve stimulation. It says it's the use of electric current produced by a device to stimulate the nerves for therapeutic purposes. You put this thing on and it will almost immediately make your back pain. I don't know if it'll make it go away completely, but it will make it much, much, much better. Um, and this is like a known, this is a known thing uh, that this really works. And you can get this at like a Walgreens or a Target, like they sell them there. And it's just like a little box and doesn't. You put that thing on and like, pfft, you'll be fine. You'll be walking around. You'll be all right. I mean, unless you like have a herniated disc and you're really in trouble and then don't do that. I mean, do it, but uh-huh, go get a, uh-huh. go to a doctor. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to have to uh, t- take all this under advisement. Mm. Uh, I have some doctors in your area. I don't typically go to the doctor. No, I don't blame you. They're the worst. Yeah. Um, I'm going to send you this. This is a link of people in your area that are doing what I did that that saved me from my doom. And there's three people here, doctors doing this. And it's Active Seattle. It's sports therapy, which is is what you want. And they are located at 2366 East Lake Avenue. Does that mean anything to you? Mm-hmm. Serving Seattle and the greater address that I Puget Sound area. Go go there right now. I'll call them. I'll set up your appointment. Oh, uh, you gotta go. You gotta go. Uh, you what is it go. called again? Active Seattle. Active Seattle. Active Seattle. I sent you the link in your uh, messages. All right. Okay. 
and they're going to they have master level certification in active release therapy active release it's a chiropractor well that that you may you may or may not get adjusted you may not you can tell them you don't want to this is a separate thing when people think of chiropractic they think of like cracking your back and like neck and things like that i i I generally don't like that um I've, i've let jill do that and it it actually has been okay but i'm the art stuff is separate it's a separate and act, thing. active release is not uh is not full release it's not a full release i mean you know maybe if you you know were to start dating someone and it could become that but this is that's just separate from that it's not the full it's not a happy ending as you say happy ending right no i mean it'll be a happy ending but not in that way We would like to thank Simple Contacts. No, this is not like an application to store your contact database. No, it's even better than that. It is a convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder the brand of contacts that you like best from anywhere in minutes. This is Vision Care Simplified. So here's the deal. If you need to renew your prescription, they make it so easy to do it. They have a five-minute vision test you can take from your phone or your computer. This gets reviewed by a licensed doctor and you get a renewed one-year prescription and you can reorder your contacts just like that. Oh, but maybe you have an unexpired uh, prescription already. No big deal. You take a photo of it or just send them your doctor's information. You send that to them and then you order your new lenses. It couldn't be easier. Super convenient. This happens from anywhere in minutes. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. You don't have to sit in a waiting room. The vision test, it's self-guided. It takes less than five minutes. Think about that. Less than five minutes, you can renew that prescription. It's designed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists review every test to make sure that your eyes look healthy and your vision hasn't changed, right? And then when you're picking out your contacts, you get to pick all of your favorite brands of lenses. It's not just some generic brand you've never heard of. It's the brand that you like. And they have options for astigmatism and multifocal lenses and colored contacts and you name it, it's all there. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. They've got great support. They do things like send you text updates on your order. You can ask questions or even reorder via text. How convenient. It's all about convenience. Now, the vision test is only 20 bucks. Compare that to the cost of an annual appointment uh, appointment with, with without insurance can cost you like 200 bucks. And contact lens prices are unbeatable. They have standard shipping. Uh, it's free. We have a special promotion just for you guys. You go to simplecontacts.com slash roadwork and enter the code roadwork at checkout for $30 off. Now listen, before you go and do that, I have to remind you, I'm, I'm obligated to remind you, this is not a replacement for your full uh, periodic eye health exam. You still need to go to an eye doctor to, to get your eyes checked out to make sure that everything is kosher in there. This is for the prescription part. So I have to tell you that this is not a replacement for that. But when you want to get contacts, you want to get a renewed prescription, this is the best way to do it. 30 bucks off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash roadwork. 
or just enter the code ROADWORK when you're checking out. Thanks very much to Simple Contacts for making this show possible. So years ago, I uh, suffered uh, from upper back pain, neck mm-hmm. pain, mm-hmm. shoulder pain. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I went to someone at the recommendation of a girl I was dating at the time who gave a similar sort of uh, testimonial about rolfing. Rolfing. I went to a, rolfing. Rolfing. Yeah. I went to a rolfer. This is not rolling on the floor laughing. That's roffling. This is rolfing. I went to this rolfer who was practicing out of his home. Okay. Already I'm out. And the rolfer, you know, but it was like, you know, he had a room that was, had incense burning and stuff. Yeah. There's no incense at this. He, um, he rolfed me, which is a form, I guess, of massage therapy. I'm not a hundred percent sure what rolfing is. Yeah. Were you, um, were you into it? Well, he, uh, he did this thing, this uh, similar kind of like um, amazing manipulation um, that uh, that immediately solved my problem. I was just like, "Wow, boom! I'm I'm, I'm there. I'm I'm right. hit. Sure." And I felt great. I felt great for a full day, mm-hmm. just feeling amazing. He said, "You know, like how did he do it?" Just with some amazing, amazing rolfing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I was. It sounds rolfing. like a, like a, like a magician's, the amazing rolfing, everyone. Yeah. Rolf, he, he rolfed. <laughs> and I also was just like all of a sudden a huge advocate of this program. Sure. Yeah. And then we keep talking about uh, picking things up off the floor, but I was at my girlfriend's apartment. And a piece of paper fell on the floor and I bent over to pick it up and one of my ribs dislocated. Whoa. Now. What, as a result of the roll thing? Well, I have no idea. I think so. I had a bad, you know, I had bad shoulder and neck pain. That was, I think, a product of the fact that I was doing a lot of drugs and not eating. Right. Because I later on talked to a medical doctor who said, well, if you are, if you are suffering from toxicity, body toxicity mm-hmm. and malnutrition, that it will manifest itself in uh, neck, shoulder. Pain. Oh, right. That makes sense. Um, and, and in fact, when I got sober, uh, I spent 10 days, that initial 10 days of getting sober, uh, unable to turn my head side to side. Oh. Just completely, my neck and shoulders were completely frozen. And it, and in I've, had that, I've had that too. Yeah. But anyway, so this guy rolfed me. This was while I was still <laughs> uh, still out, as we say. Um, and uh, and I bent over and uh, my, my uh, rib popped out. Well, I'd never experienced that. And it was, it seemed like the type of thing. Like I had a friend, Peter, my friend Peter, who sustained a hockey injury and sometimes his shoulder would pop out of the socket and I would have to, we worked out a way in which I would like, uh, throw him against a wall and it would pop back in. That was kind of our, uh, at least when his shoulder popped out around me, we had this method Mm -hmm. seemed very painful, but it was the result of an injury. And this, uh, this rib popping out didn't, wasn't connected to anything. I was just bending over. So I immediately made the connection to the rolfing. Sure. 
And in great agony, I called the rolfer on the phone and said, hey, this rib has popped out. I don't know what to do. I need to come see you. And he said, I can see you a week from next Tuesday. And I said, oh, I see you are not a serious person. Right. Like I am in enormous pain as a result of your treatment, I think. And, you know, and it was just like he said, oh, well, once you get into the regular, once you're Rolfed on the reg, uh, you know. All right. The they just, they're just they're just sucking you to get trying to get you back in every every two days or something. Well, but the, the problem is that he did do a thing. It did reduce my pain and suffering right. and then created some other thing, you know, created in it, some imbalance in my structure. Mm. And that's kind of what I feel like happened with my back. Like my daughter hit me and hurt me. Right. My muscles had to compensate. That's exactly, for that that's exactly what's going on. So the other muscles that for all, you know, were already, you know, a little overworked maybe. Yeah. Now they're filling in for the injured muscles. Yep. And uh and and they're now getting overtaxed and that's the that's the the pain response. Yeah. Well, ART is more medical. Okay. That's like actual medicine. It's not about like gravity and, and energy fields and and things like that. This is mm-hmm. this is like a I mean, this is what she does. She does this for the whole UT basketball teams and and now she actually works at Apple um one or two days out of the week. Uh, doing this for Apple's employees on, on the Apple campus here. So it's legit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the real, it's a real thing. I um, want you to go. I want you to go and report back. And of course I want you to get better. Uh, so it is, it's, it's being described here on the internet as just a type of massage therapy. It's more a like deep- a massage than anything else. Yeah. Because there's, they're putting, they're using their hands or sometimes their elbow to put pressure on a muscle that you have that could be having a problem. And then they'll, uh, they might move your, your leg, uh, or something or your arm or position you in a certain way while they're doing that, applying the pressure. And you'll actually feel the tight muscle that's having a spasm, which is most likely what's going on with you. It release. And all of a sudden, like the pain will stop and you'll be able to move again. It's quite uh, miraculous. It's more, uh, I would say it's more like a deep tissue massage than, than, than having a, like a, your back cracked or something, but like you, you stay dressed. You don't, you know, you're not like getting, there's no like aromatherapy happening. Uh-huh. It's like, you just like, they start pushing on, you know, it's the kind of thing you could imagine going on if you were watching a basketball game and you like see somebody like, you know, uh, get checked or something and they, they, they wind up kind of hobbling off to the side and then you like see someone like working on them on the side and then they're back in, they're back in again to play some more. Like it's that kind of thing. It's like, um, on the sidelines. Hmm. Yeah. I would be unlikely to be watching a basketball game, yeah. but if I were sure, uh, that might, I might see something like that. I'm not sure I would have before even noticed that happening. I know sometimes football players, get uh you know carted away right sonic the sonics don't you have the sonic supersonics uh no as a matter of fact the supersonics used to be a seattle basketball yeah, team not your team uh, or a bastic ball team mm-hmm. uh but then uh, the sonics were owned par- in part by howard schultz the starbucks 
Oh, um, okay, yeah. Owner. And in some kind of flim flammery. Mm. You see, here at Seattle, we have a uh, we have the Seattle Center, which was built for the the World's Fair in the early sixties. Uh, you may you may have seen that in the Elvis movie. It happened at the World's Fair, mm. nineteen sixty two World's Fair. Uh, and as part of that, they built a a uh, coliseum, an arena uh, that was that was you know big big enough for events. The Beatles played there. Uh, It was where basketball happened. And when the Sonics came to Seattle, it was their basketball stadium and everybody was happy with it. It had some boxes, you know, it's what, you know, if if Garth Brooks came to town, he would play there. I mean, Paul McCartney plays there. It's the big hall. Okay. Or it was rather before we built the major stadiums on the other side of town. Anyway, at a certain point during the um, the big construction of stadiums years, the Sonics basketball team, as part of a general NBA money grab, mm-hmm. decided that this stadium was too small. Do you know? Do you know the name of the stadium where the Celtics play? Yeah. No, not off the top of my head. Or where they played. Uh. You know, it was one of those, like, the old-fashioned basketball. Um, it says the TD Arena is the name of that. Yeah, TD what Garden. Did, what did the, how, well, the, the Celtics used to have um, a, a famous basketball playing place? <laughs> Boston Garden? Boston Garden. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, Boston Garden. And it was one of those things where you were, you'd watch the Celtics play and the 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 audience would be practically down on the basketball court because sure. they just needed to cram all these people in there to see the the Celtics. But that was just how it was. It was like an old fashioned baseball uh, park. It was just like fun and crowded and old and and cool. Well, the basketball people, just like all sports people, said, "Wow, there's a lot more money to be made here if we had a bunch of." corporate boxes we could sell to corporate corporations yeah and you know 17 different tiers of ticket we could be making a bundle here and so they did that sports thing where they uh they hold a city hostage Mm. and they said if you don't um improve this arena which was for a long time sponsored by key bank. It was called the key arena before that. It was just the, I think it was just the Coliseum. I don't remember. There's arenas and Coliseums. I think it was the Coliseum anyway. So they spent an enormous amount of money digging the floor down. They spent all this time and money building this, rebuilding this structure so that it suddenly was much deeper, much bigger. It could hold a lot more people. And the basketball team played there for 10 years. And then they started bitching again. Oh, it's not big enough. We don't have enough. We need a new arena. We need a whole new place to play because um, because this place just isn't big enough. And it wasn't that it wasn't big enough. It was that it didn't have enough ability for the NBA to make like filthy lucre. Right. 
Anyway, as part of all this baloney, there was this ownership group headed by Howard Schultz. And they wanted to sell the basketball team or, you know, the NBA was holding Seattle hostage. We couldn't agree to build them an arena because we had just been held hostage to build both a baseball and a football stadium. And it was like, oh, sure, everybody get in on the act. Why don't we use tax dollars to build every fucking sports team <laughs> right, a brand sure. new temple that they can use to, to, you know, we voted against the stadiums in, in citywide referenda like three separate times and still they managed to push it through. Mm. Um, whereas we voted for a citywide monorail three separate times and they managed to like push through a giant cancellation of it. So it really gave us a sense this is in the nineties that it didn't matter what we voted for. Uh, the, uh, the powers that be were just going to go ahead and do whatever they were going to do. Anyway, Howard Schultz was approached by a group of people from Oklahoma city who said, we're investors. We want to buy your basketball team. We'll keep it in Seattle. We just want to be the owners of a basketball team. And Howard and his uh, gang agreed to sell to this group from Oklahoma city with all these conditions that they keep it in Seattle and all this other stuff. Uh, And so immediately once the deal was done, the Oklahoma City group said, lol, actually we're moving the basketball team to Oklahoma City. And we're going to build a big, big stadium there that really makes the NBA happy, makes everybody happy. And it did not make Seattle happy. And it all kind of happened like under cover the night. Um, uh, And Seattle is a real basketball town. Just basketball, basketball, basketball. Sure. Um, and so when this was announced, like, oh, oops. It was announced as an oops. It was just like, oh, oops, we sold our basketball team <laughs> right. to this group of people that said they were going to keep it in Seattle, but now they're not. So anyway, sorry. And the city went bananas. Like what? Say what? Uh, because the Sonics were, you know, I mean, the big deal here. Yeah. Well, they took the basketball team, they moved to Oklahoma, and they call it the Thunder now. The Thunder. Hmm. I don't even like the name. Well, you know, they have a lot of thunder in Oklahoma. My gosh. And I'm sure it was one of those things where they put it in the newspaper, like, what should we call our basketball team? The, you know, the, the rock scorpions or the, uh, <laughs> the dust storms. Right. Yeah. I like or, the rock scorpions a lot. Yeah. Or the, you know, Oklahoma city has more churches, uh, in within the city limits than any other place in the, in the country, hmm. maybe in the world. So they could have called it the Oklahoma city churches. But no, it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Oklahoma City really rubs our noses in it. Um, They routinely lol. I'm sure there's someone listening to this show from Oklahoma City who is even now laughing out loud 
at the plight of Seattle having lost their basketball team to, you know, these uh, crafty, crafty crafters. Right. Uh, the Oklahoma City metropolitan area, Wikipedia says, has 1,358,000 people. Um, uh, making it Oklahoma City's largest metropolitan area. If you if you uh, combine it with the Shawnee combined statistical area, it has one million four hundred and fifty nine thousand people. Uh, the city of Seattle has. Uh, let's see here. So. The metropolitan area. Well, now let's go back to Oklahoma City. Forget about the metropolitan area. It says the population of the city itself uh, has 631,000. And the population of Seattle City is 713,000. So surprisingly, you would think of Seattle, I think, as a much bigger city than Oklahoma City. Yeah, I would have thought that, sure. But it turns out they are similarly sized more or less. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the Seattle region has, but I think it's a, I think it's equivalent to Oklahoma city, a million and a half people. Um, anyway, so, so in losing to Oklahoma city, it felt to us like even more of a kick in the trousers. Sure. Because it seemed like Oklahoma City was smaller, like less, lesser. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's saying that our metro area here has 3,700,000 people. Can that be true? Wow. So when you talk about metro area, wow, we have a lot more people than Oklahoma City. That's why we think of Seattle as being bigger. Anyway, Dan, what what you have to understand, and I think it should be obvious, is I don't care about basketball. Right. Uh, but I do have a lot of friends that care about basketball, and I get caught up in the caring about basketball just because I care about the life of the city and having a basketball team makes people feel like their city is real. I don't know what it is. You know, they just, people like to root for things. Sure they do. Well, so some of my friends are in the as as you get older, it's hard apparently for people not to end up working in advertising. Now, I never would have thought this. <laughs> Is that true? But I have so many friends that work in advertising now. I don't know how it happened. I never would have I wouldn't have thought I knew anybody working in advertising. And there's a there's a crazy crossover between advertisers, people that work at advertising agencies and agencies that do PR or that take over a, like they say, we're going to pass this legislation or we're going to, um, we're going to see to it that the, that the, Harbor gets redeveloped and they they'll hire what you might think of as an advertising agency Mm -hmm. to do the whole plan, come up with the whole promotional plan and, and then execute it. 
with all these kinds of events and ad buys, and it 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 it's, it blurs the line often between political advocacy, PR, and you know, I guess advertising. So I have a bunch of friends that work at multiple of these agencies. And I I often look around and go, what happened to me? (laughs) Like the common denominator in these relationships is me. (laughs) But some of my (laughs) friends, close friends, pals, people that I hang out with. Right. uh, One group of friends was working with one group of people who had a plan to bring basketball back to Seattle and another group of friends. And we're all friends with each other. We're working with another group of people who had a different plan to bring basketball back to Seattle. And these plans are, we're we're talking about hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars. The one group wants to bring basketball back to the Coliseum slash key arena slash whatever it's called now. Uh, by, I don't know what, digging a deeper hole, demolishing it somehow again. I don't know what their stupid plan is. And then the other ownership group was going to build a whole new stadium at the other end of town. And that required that they get, I mean, they bought up all the property. They had everybody, uh, psyched about this big plan. They were going to build this huge thing down there. But it was right by the port, and the port has a union or several unions, and those unions don't play around. Right. And they don't play ball with anybody. And the union said, eh, you're going to build this thing down here. It's going to interrupt our business because we drive trucks on all those little streets. And the arena guys were like, what? Seriously? Like, come on. We're going to build an arena that's going to bring – because the argument is always like, oh, we're going to bring millions and millions of dollars to the city. And it's mm-hmm. not exactly how it works. They build, bring millions and millions of dollars to themselves because a lot of people come to those games from out of town and they drive in, they go to the game and then they drive home. It's not like they come to town and they buy a fancy dinner and they go to a Broadway show. Anyway, that ownership group needed the city council to approve a street vacation. Some little dinky ass industrial street in this industrial neighborhood where there are a bunch of one story warehouses and some dudes from the port driving their trucks around. And I know all those streets and I know which ones are dinky and which ones are important. And this was a dinky one, but it needed the city council to agree that the city was going to say, okay, we don't need that street anymore. You can build your stadium over that area. And in a surprise move, the city council that was elected during the race that I ran, the people that actually made the city council mm-hmm. rather than lose their election like I did, one of them, a woman who was supposed by everyone to be in the mayor's pocket, a conservative, pro-business, pro-city, communitarianism mm-hmm. style of Democrat. Right. Then everybody was like, oh, no, she's just going to go along with whatever the mayor wants. She, like, in a last-minute, like, whoops-a-doody, whoops-a-doodle, voted against the street vacation. She was the deciding vote, 
and the council said ixnay on it and that whole plan just went right into the crapper anyway seattle i'm i'm getting into local politics again dan and i'm sorry oh, it's, it's important this, you've got to go on record with it and i i think that's important this is the only place i'm really allowed to <laughs> it's talk the about only it. place you can go Except at my, except at dim sum meetings. But the problem with the dim sum meetings is that there are often people from competing ad agencies who have completing competing plans to bring basketball back to Seattle. Um, and they're all getting paid, right? Because all of the people that want this are millionaires, and they're just paying these people money, real money, to do this, this uh, like soft shoe act, and. You know, personally, I feel like what we should be spending our money on is a space program and and in investigating like stem cells mm-hmm. solving could, that could fix your back stem cells yeah, for solving medical problems for people who are who get old and all of a sudden their quote unquote back goes out right <laughs> right um but no, we care about basketball, we care about bringing it back to Seattle. I think we want to bring it back to Seattle and then soundly beat the Oklahoma City Thunder over and over, just smash it, smash them down into their their uh, desert aquifer. But um, but as it stands, we're just twisting in the wind up here, and they're taking all of our good I don't know what basketball monies. Mm-hmm. They're selling all those hot dogs. They're, well, you can't deny you can't deny that having a having a team is potentially a huge source of revenue and appeal for a town for a city. I do not deny it. Yeah, I do not deny it. It is part of being a city, right? right. I mean, Cincinnati is a small town, but they have storied sports teams. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, it's part of the reason that we think of Cincinnati as a big deal. If Cincinnati did not have the reds, um, would you even be aware of Cincinnati? No, nor should you except, except for the, for WKRP. Right. Uh, you know, there, there, and, and it's a definitely is a city thing, not a state thing well except in the except in like um the new england patriots right what the fuck is that it's Nothing. just like uh they didn't want to call it the boston Patriots. yeah it should be because even pe- most people in the rest of new england don't there's only uh there are only six states that have more than one nfl team can you name them six states that have more than one nfl team yeah okay let's see here i'm gonna say uh california definitely uh, Texas. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to say. Just the state you were just mentioning, just talking about. Uh, Boston. Well, what? No. Yeah, before uh, that. Uh, Massachusetts. Ohio. Oh, no. Ohio, of yeah. course. I'm uh-huh. sorry. Ohio. Uh, don't give me any more hints. Okay. Uh, sorry. Florida. Yep. Yep. So that's four. Uh-huh. Let me think here. Um, uh, let's see. There's no Milwaukee team. It's just the Green Bay Packers, right? Just them. <laughs> um, 
but an Illinois doesn't have another city outside of Chicago. Mm. Uh, does Michigan? No, no. Their their uh, college football team is so big it almost counts as an NFL team, but no. Right, right. Of course. Um, let's see. No hints. Oh wait a minute! Wait a minute. Uh, what about Missouri? No. Hmm. Now that they have two ba- baseball teams. Mm-hmm. I think. Wait. Do they? Well, Kansas City. I guess is the, are the Kansas City Royals. It is the Royals. Is Kansas City in Kansas or is it in Missouri? Is the baseball team oriented toward which side of the which side of the city? That is a good question. Um, the Royals are where are the Royals based? I thought they were in yeah the Kansas City Royals. But yeah, but which side? Kansas City, Missouri, uh, or Kansas City, Kansas? Oh. Oh, wait, New York. New York has the Jets and and Buffalo. Buffalo's got a football team. Well, they have the the Giants, the Jets, and Buffalo. Oh, right. Sure. The Giants and the Jets, right? Uh, Okay, so I'm missing one more. One more. Uh, Come on. It's going to be, it's like an obscure. Oh, Pennsylvania. There you go. Not too obscure. Got the Eagles and the Steelers. Right, right. I mean, you know, I'm not a sports. Yeah, you're not, but you have an incredible knowledge of sports despite that. Well, I think that's more more uh, uh, down to geography because you have to, in order to have two football teams, you have to have a state that has two major cities. And most states, you will find, do not have two major cities. Like Georgia Mm -hmm. has one it's a big city, right. but it has just one city. Um, okay, Kansas, get, K- Kansas City, Missouri, yeah, is see, where the, the newly renovated Kauffman Stadium is. So I'm, there, I'm going to say it's the Missouri side. Right. So you got St. Louis, and you've got Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They have so so Missouri has two baseball teams. Yeah, I guess they do. And you know, Ohio's got. A lot of baseball. Fans. 50. You, 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 you never think about how many people live in Ohio. It's such a populous state. Um, just a lot of people in Ohio. 20 million people or something like that. Half the number of people that are in Germany. Although I guess the population of Germany, you know, the populations of places increase so f- rapidly. Mm-hmm. I have in my head that... Uh, that the the great nations of Europe all have forty thousand or forty million people in them, but they all have sixty million people now. Right, and that just happened not even in my lifetime in in recent memory. It seems like, you know, Dan, when I was born, uh, the population of the world was let's uh, you know I I love demographics. Yeah, they they are so interesting. In 1968, the population of the world was three billion five hundred million people. Okay, three and a half billion people in in 1968 when I was born, and now there are seven and a half billion people. Um, so it has more than doubled in my in just my lifetime. 
And so when I think about the world when I was a kid and what it, what it was like, you know, what it was like in cities when I was a kid, what it was like when you thought about the world, there are twice as many people now. More. That's that. really, really crazy when you put it that way. Yeah. And so there are twice as many people everywhere. I mean, a lot of population growth is hap- was happening in India, China, and in Africa. But even so, um, let's see what the population of the USA in 1968 was. It was 200 million people in 1968. And uh, now, so 200 million in 1968, and now the population of the USA is 325 million. So a 50%, greater than a 50% increase in people just in the USA, in my life. And so, you know, you, you sometimes get this feeling like, oh, traffic in Austin is so bad, traffic in Seattle is so bad. But that it has to do with Amazon or, or Dell computers or something. You know, like, oh, these tech companies are moving in and they're increasing the population. But there are so many more people and they all want to live in Seattle and Austin. Right. You know, none of the, none of the 125 million people in, in America now are moving to like – rural Indiana. Um, you, you look at the population of a lot of those towns in, in the Midwest, the population has been steady since 1840. Mm. You know, there were 8,000 people here in 1840 and there are 8,000 people here now. And that alone is insane. But, we had to fit 125 million more people in this country just in my lifetime. So yeah. it's just, uh, it's astonishing and astonishing how technology has, has, um, has permitted it because we were talking about that. I remember as a kid, there being lots of panic about the fact that we weren't going to be able, our population was expanding to the point we wouldn't be able to feed people. And the only way that we are able to feed people is that science has made the land twice as productive. Right. Um, which is incredible, you know, astonishing, but there's gotta be some, uh, Moore's law about it. Although maybe you just start making like ham in test tubes and uh, everybody's eating a test tube ham, and it's not it's not a problem. Test tube corn syrup. Let me. That reminds me. I I read a thing, and I think it. I just I just read it um, in passing, and I'm not sure whether it was true or not. But there was uh, there was an article that said that test tube meat is potentially test tube ham right is potentially kosher 
How? Be- well, because because it was it really, never was really a pig. It's not really pig. It's something else. I mean, I guess I guess the religions where there are proscriptions about certain foods are now all needing to figure out how to deal with artificially made food. Like, do you, do you consider laboratory food to be uh, prohibited by God for these old reasons? Rabbi says meat from genetically cloned pig could be eaten by Jews, including with milk. Nah. Wow, a, prominent, a ham and cheese sandwich. A prominent Orthodox rabbi in Israel said that meat from a genetically cloned pig would be kosher for consumption by Jews, including when eaten with dairy products, because we have a thing, if you're keeping kosher, where you can't have milkic with fleshic, which means, take a guess, milk and flesh. You can't have that together. You can't sit down at dinner. And this and, freak- and eat a cheese hamburger. You can't, yeah, you can't have cheese on your hamburger. You couldn't have a steak and a glass of milk. And, uh, and, well, and I, that's not something I'm likely to order at any point. No, but. no. But like, I remember I would go over my friends, uh, houses at, and they'd like, you know, you'd come over and like, you'd, you'd play over there at the house and they'd be like, Oh, do you want to have dinner here? Sure. I'll have dinner. And they'd put like a glass of milk down at dinner. I'm like, what, what's that? What is this? We never drank milk. Like I, milk was not a thing I drank unless it was like a treat with some, uh, Chocolate milk. What was the rabbit? The chocolate milk that had the quick Nestle quick. quick. Yeah. 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 So that unless I was having some Nestle quick in my milk, like milk was not a thing that I that I ate unless it was in cereal. Right. Because what would happen if you you were accidentally like having a roast beef? That's right. Yeah. Churlo. You know, I love to I I love to melt a big cheese over all my steaks of course no matter how good they are. That's right. Just some some cheese whiz. Rabbi Yuval Churlo. Uh, said that cloned meat is not subject to the rules that apply to the consumption of regular meat. Quote, cloned meat produced from a pig shall not be defined as prohibited for consumption, including with milk. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, Because it says, uh, talks about meat that is grown artificially in a lab from the cells of a pig rather than meat. What if some of those cells, cells are still in there? Then meat produced from a live pig whose genetic material comes from a cell from which the pig was cloned. Right. That, but he but says, the, he says, I, Rabbi, here, th- this should get rabbinic approval so that people would not starve to prevent pollution and to avoid the suffering of animals. So you're on to something here. Hmm. Well, so there's also a rabbinical um, argument against it, as you can imagine, because that's the whole game. Yeah. That is the whole <laughs> game of Judaism. Yeah. Uh, the the Talmud mm-hmm. yes. has stories about miraculous flesh descending from heaven or being created by holy men through prayer, and they are stipulating that perhaps this is what they science, were talking about the cloning. Yeah, mo- but maybe mo- maybe the cloners, the scientific cloners, are the holy men, and their prayer is you know they're like there is nothing that a Talmudic scholar likes better than a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, or miraculous flesh descending from heaven. So uh, let's see. So um, Shabbat's Yehudas Sherpin, 
<laughs> says it's not exactly miraculous. <laughs> I like your pronunciation a lot. <laughs> Yehuda <laughs> Sherpin uh-huh. uh, is not. Uh, he says uh, that it's not exactly miraculous in the heavenly sense, but because the central component, as you were saying, a cell of a pig, is not kosher. That means that the meat that is produced from it is also not kosher mm-hmm. or also not, he says, not fit for human consumption, which I might argue. Oh, and he also says there is a rabbinic prohibition against doing something that looks misleadingly similar, similar yeah. to a forbidden activity. Right. Well, this is very exciting and I cannot wait to see what they decide. Because it's, you know, I had this conversation with um, some of my friends who are also in the not doing drugs anymore camp. I don't know if we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. But when uh, when all of the marijuana extracts started hitting the scene uh, and there were all these extracts like CBD. Yeah, we which, talked about the CBD and you said you still didn't want to... Uh Right, try because it's because it's I, I talked to my little rabbinical right, group, right, and we decided that this uh, this had the uh, prohibition against doing something that looks misleadingly similar okay. to forbidden yeah. activity. <laughs> yeah, and so we were like, uh, you know, sorry, we're going to have to pass. Um, this is haram, but it'll be interesting to see what the imams say about. About it, but won't that be curious if um, if one group of uh, Semitic peoples decide that their food prohibitions don't apply and one group yeah, does? Yeah, it'll be just one more thing to argue about. They're in Yon Middle East. We would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace. They help you turn your cool idea into a new website. They help you showcase your work. You can blog, you can publish content, you can sell products and services. Anything you want to do, you can do it with Squarespace. You can promote your physical or online business. You can announce an upcoming event or a special project that you're working on. And you do this all so easily with beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers, built-in, powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. You can change the look and feel of it and make it your own with just a few clicks. You can start with one of their amazing templates and what you come up with will be your own. It will be unique. It will be just yours. And no one else will know that you didn't pay $50,000 to some design firm to get something so cool. They even have a, a way to buy domains now. You can choose from over 200 extensions and pick the domain name that you want, even if uh, you don't want a website right now. Maybe you just want a domain. That's fine. You can just go and get a domain or you can get both because your new project needs an awesome domain, doesn't it? They've got built-in analytics. They've got SEO built-in. They've got uh, secure hosting built-in. You don't ever have to patch or upgrade or maintain anything. And they've got 24-7 award-winning customer support if you ever have a question. So are you ready to start a new business or uh, or create something new? This is how you're going to make it a reality with a website from Squarespace. So go to squarespace.com slash roadwork for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code roadwork to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or a domain. Pretty cool. Go check it out. And thank you to Squarespace for making this show possible. 
Well, I personally think that test tube ham is just grody, but I'm, I will have died out or I will be, I'll be sitting there like, but like, what is, what is, so when they talk about like, you know, growing the, the ham or whatever, (laughs) what are, what, what are they growing the ham out of? Like you start with a cell, right? You've got a cell from a piece of uh, pig. You've got that mm. cell, and yeah. they're doing they're doing something to make more cells grow. They don't come from nothing; they come oh, from sure. somewhere. They, they are, what are they, they coming have, from? Well, they figured out a way to get cells to divide. They can't, div- uh, but what are they spraying uh, amino uh, acids on them or something? Listen, I'm no food biologist. <laughs> I'm no uh, I'm no zoologist, right? I'm saying like I it honestly, has to like there has to be a material that is consumed to create more. You can't just split the cells just don't split. Well, and that's why they call it food. test tube stuff. It's in some agar. Yeah. Uh, some they they're I would try I would try it. Oh, I mean I'd try it. Maybe For, it's good. The thing about hamburger is who knows what's in hamburger and I don't care and I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. So I it might I might be more inclined to eat like fake hamburger mm-hmm. than I would be to like eat a ham steak, but I don't even know how you would grow a ham steak. Like what would it, would it, bacon. would it look like, like again with a hamburger, I feel like you, any, almost anything could pass as hamburger meat. If it's cooked, you wouldn't sure, know. Grind up cockroaches. And right, call it right, right, right. Whereas like if a someone's trying to, breast. yeah, pass off something like that. Like it's, it's, you've got to have the right, texture and shape and it you're going to be able to detect it yeah well we're you know what we're talking about right now is the future dan it's not that far away though it'll be in our lifetime it absolutely will. our grandkids will never even have an opportunity to eat something that wasn't grown in a lab it's like a blade runner situation where you say is that a real snake and the person goes how would i afford a real right how uh, yeah who has a real snake there are no trees Yeah, you're not going to afford real hamburger, but there's going to be hamburger everywhere because it's what it's one of the number one things that we like to eat here. Imagine that. It's nothing nothing's real anymore. You're just eating everything's fabricated. Well, what's weird about hamburger hamburger and root beer and Mexican food, <laughs> yeah, are all things that if you have them in <laughs> Europe, hamburger, Mexican food, root beer and milkshakes. If you have them in Europe or anywhere else in the world, they do not at all resemble what we call hamburger, milkshakes, root beer, or Mexican food. And I don't understand why that is. What do they resemble? What are they like? Well, the hamburger tastes like else, like other. It is, uh, and it's not just that it's, it's not that it's gamier, although it is gamier, but it also sort of tastes not like beef. It tastes like, I don't know what they're chopping up and I'm sure it is beef, but they're just chopping it up in a different way. Um, in Romania, when they give you bacon, it's just the fat. There's no meat on it. Hmm. I said to a Romanian guy one time, you know, in America, our bacon has meat like muscle tissue in addition to fat. Right. And he said uh, something to the effect that Romanian pigs don't have meat. 
And I was like, hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't just a language barrier thing. You know, he, he had a lot, he had, he was suffering from that thing that you see sometimes where people feel like America is just amazing and has, has different stuff. I don't know what that is. Uh, the uh, Romanian pigs do have meat. I think what it is, is that they, they just don't, they use that meat in sausage or something and they don't use it in bacon. Romanians eat bacon all the time. It's just all, it's just the fat, but root beer, uh, in my experience, everyone in Europe, including the United Kingdom who are, you know, their tastes are not that different. Uh, they all feel like root beer just tastes like medicine, cough syrup. Hmm. They don't want anything to do with it. And they make root beer, I think, just for American visitors. And it, I don't know what it is, but it, it sure as hell isn't root beer. It does taste like medicine. And root beer is one of the great things. But it is totally an American thing. Yeah, I mean, it, root beer is, it started here, right here in North America. You can't get it elsewhere. And then a milkshake. Could you just order like a, uh, like a sarsaparilla or something? Over there? Would they know what that was? Not really. I don't think so, no. I mean, they have their other, they have other drinks like, like a uh, room temperature beer that tastes like a, you're eating a loaf of bread. <laughs> Weedy. Um, and then milkshakes are just like strawberry quick. There's no ice cream in them. Or if there is, it's like a paltry amount of ice cream. You know, we have milkshakes here where you turn the cup upside down and the, it's so frozen that it, there's so much ice cream in it, it won't even run out of the cup. And turn it upside down. Turn it upside down. That is not what you're going to find. Even if you go to a restaurant called, like, USA America Restaurant, <laughs> where they have Marilyn Monroe and USA <laughs> flags on the walls, um, they don't successfully create American food. And, you know, we think of American food as garbage. But if you go somewhere else and try and get American food. That's when you're really going to taste garbage. And I don't understand it because these seem like universal things, ice cream, beef, ham. Uh, and I guess the sarsaparilla route maybe right. isn't universal, but you can certainly import it. Oh, and then Mexican food. I don't know what it is about Mexican food. They're just, I mean, I guess America just has a lot of Mexican people and they bring their delicious food and their delicious food techniques. And you mm -hmm. don't see a lot of Mexican people in Europe. But And this may not be true anymore. They may, have, they may have worked that out. But I don't think so. I was in Europe not that long ago. And there was not that much Mexican food. And I, I just, I'm surprised by that. Because I feel like here in the United States, we consider it one of the truly great foods. When I went to uh, Seoul, there was al almost no American food whatsoever or european food or anything and and the the little tiny bit that they did have was their own version of it i remember once in a mall they had uh well there was a whole this is fascinating to me their whole food court in this mall that i went to in in seoul um you know your normal food court you sort of like go up to the place and you say i want you know, I want one of those, one of those, one of those. This isn't how this one worked. You had to go to like a, um, for all intents and purposes, it looked like a vending machine, but the vending machine didn't have any uh, actual output. 
you would mm-hmm. order your food with the vending machine and pay there. And then you'd walk over to the different areas of the food court, the different stores, and just pick up the food that came from there. So if you wanted, let's say, a pizza, a slice of pizza, you would go to the vending machine thing, use it and and pick a a slice of pizza from it, and then walk halfway across the food court to where the pizza place was, and there your slice would be coming out. And... I ordered a pizza because I'd been I'd spent like almost two weeks eating just basically this um, combination of kimchi and some kind of for breakfast was always rice with kimchi and some kind of super salty like oyster soup with garlic in it mm. and lunch and dinner was always uh, bulgogi with kimchi and rice that was it mm-hmm. like for mm-hmm. two weeks. So finally took this to, took us to this mall and they had the pizza there and I ordered a pizza and it's not like any pizza I've ever seen in my whole life. Like, I mean, it, it looked kind of like a pizza, but instead of like traditional toppings, it had like um, peas and corn on it and yeah, the cheese pea pizza. Yeah. And the cheese was really strange that was there and it wasn't like it looked like tomato sauce, but it was more like ketchup. It was, but they ate it, and I. It was just the most bizarre thing. And then I found a Bennigan's, and 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 I, I can tell you in in my adult life I've eaten Bennigan's twice. This was one of the two times, and I went into the Bennigan's, and the minute that you step inside, your back. It's almost like it was like an American embassy or something, because as soon as you stepped inside. They were playing like regular American, like rock and roll, kind of like bad 90s rock and roll music. And it looked like a Bennigan's in America down to the, you know, the nails in the, in the, in the, in the boards. I mean, it was, it was like I was back in America and people spoke English and there was an an English menu and I ordered like a hamburger and it was fine. It was just the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing. And then, you know, and the day before we, they were trying to get me to eat dog. At, at like under an overpass under on an off an inside of an interstate by a canal and all the dogs are like in pens like right there while you're trying to eat uh-huh. and uh and i couldn't do it and they were so disappointed in me like have more soju more soju i'm like no amount of soju is going to make me eat the dog today uh-huh. and so uh-huh. the guy picks up his cell phone and calls somebody and hangs up and he's like it's it's okay now it's okay now. Like, what are you talking about? It's okay now. I'm not, I'm really going to eat the dog. Right. And he's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay now. And, and so we're sitting around and like, that's the only explanation I got. We're just sitting around, sitting around. Meanwhile, their dog comes out and then, uh, then they had something else brought out and put in like a, another thing there that's cooking. Cause everything cooks on the table. They're cooking that. And I'm like, no, I don't want it. And he's like, not dog duck oh duck and i'm like how do i know he's not just trying to trick me to eat the the dog and calling it duck and so i meant i meant duck it none of this is dog it's all duck because you know there's a language and then somebody pulls up on a bike and there's like a wind like we're in like a little shack sort of a thing and this guy pulls up and all i see is his head by the window and the 
the guy I'm with turns around, opens the window, and hands the guy some money, and the guy hands up a a bag and rides away. Yeah. And he opens up the bag and puts it on the table, and it was like fried chicken or something. And he had ordered that from some other place, and a bike guy had delivered it to us. On I don't know how he said we're under the overpass by the interstate. Sure, he's just bored of his own. Right, and he brought favorite. this out for for the Americans to have because we didn't want to eat dog, so we ate fried chicken. Now, though, if I had gone, I would eat the dog. I would totally eat the dog. But this place was gross, and the dogs that they had didn't look like any other dogs I'd ever seen before. They didn't look like regular dogs. They were like a separate breed of dog that was for eating. And and it's sort of like a white kind of puffy looking dog with, you know, like a white uh-huh. puffy looking dog. That was like their eating dog. A and white there was, puffy eating dog. And there was also this one beast of a dog that was like super muscular like I've never seen before. It looked like part, I don't know, it had almost no fur on it. It was very muscular. And it's just creepy because you're like three feet away from the, the dogs. Yeah. And like, I don't want to eat, eat that. It's right there. It's right there. Like, it's not like you're picking out a lobster or something. It's like there's a dog right there looking at you. And you're picking out the dog? You're picking no. out the dog. Yeah, you'd pick no, out the dog. Sure. No. You're not. They're you not like to pick dog. your dog. And you'd walk. You'd walk down the street, and they would have. You know how like, like in the old in the in the Wild West, people couldn't read. So like, if you ha- if you were like a barber, you'd have a barbershop pole, and everyone knew what that meant. If you were like the guy that makes boots, you'd have like a wooden boot carving hanging outside of your window. So people would be like, "That's where I get my boots," in the store that has the boot out front. Like that's how you would do it. This yeah. is what they had in, in Korea too. And you'd walk down the street and like, you'd see like a, the chicken place would have like a little logo of like a smiling chicken. And then the place you'd go to eat dog would have like the happy dog. The first time I saw it, I'm like, I wonder if that's a vet. And wow. they're like, no, 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 not pet eat. I'm like, okay. And we ate the, we ate the live octopus and the live eel, but I couldn't eat, the, couldn't eat the dog at the time. Well, but you're saying that the dogs don't look like dogs. They look like they look uh, like white, dogs. They're white, white puffy, puffy dogs. Dog. Yeah, white but the, I'm still dog. it's still clearly a dog. Now I would have been all over that. I would I wouldn't have eaten it on the underpass necessarily, but it was um, overpass rather. But it, I would totally eat a dog now. I'd pre- I'd prepare it myself. Yeah, I'm putting I'm in line ready to have the dog. I want to you know. But back then my horizons were very limited. Uh, yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I I think probably I would eat dog now. You and I probably, should get some dog together. Probably would not have eaten dog. Uh, I think that's the thing ago. we do when we when we finally put together one of these live uh, road shows that we're talking about doing. We'll have to get some dog. Well, you know, I got an email today. Interesting email from a uh, listener who said, "Look, you and Dan were talking about climbing Mount Rainier. Mm. Were we? And I don't." I don't remember talking about climbing Mount Rainier, but you know, it felt a little bit like that scene in animal house where it was like, well, the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. So <laughs> let's just, just let him go. Right. It's like, you're talking about climbing Mount Rainier. He said, what if we planned a Mount Rainier climbing expedition and we got <laughs> you and Dan oh. 
and uh, and then some fans could uh, buy into this, and it would be. He said there's 18 people typically in a climbing group, and uh, everybody gets together, and you just climb Mount Rainier together in a big old party. And I said, wow, Hmm. what an idea. What a concept. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself. Yeah. That's a high summit. That's a 4,400 meter summit. 14,000 feet. It is not goofing around. Mount Rainier is not goofing around. It it would not be a, um, it would not be easy to do. No. Uh, But it would be astonishing. It would be astonishing if we were able to do it. To do as a group of people, um, that would be like pretty cool. I mean, I don't remember talking about climbing Mount Rainier, but I it is a thing I've always imagined doing. It's a thing that's on my, you know. Bucket, it bucket on, list? Is it on my life list? I mean – uh, good question. Good question. Now, Seattle is a is a sea level at its low point, right? Let me look this up. Well, Seattle is at the level of the sea. Okay, yes, so yeah, lowest elevation is, is zero feet. Mm-hmm. And highest elevation, I guess not including the mountain, is 520 feet. In Seattle, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and you know, I sit up on top of a hill here. Uh, I'm probably at about 500 feet above right. the water. That's where we are. Austin's 480, 89 uh, foot elevation. It takes a, yeah, it takes a little while to get there. Your closest ocean is, um, is there outside of Houston, right? Isn't that where you would go if you were trying to go to the ocean? That is, that is correct. Yeah. Although it's the uh, worst, worst beach in the world. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's pretty bad. I mean, I wouldn't recommend, I would recommend not, not going to the beach in, in Texas. It's that bad. Yeah. You would say, don't even do don't it. Don't do it. Florida Panhandle, just go go there instead. It's much, much better. But that's quite a drive. Then fly. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm saying under under no circumstances should you be going to like Port A or anything. It's it's just a not. I mean, you can, like, if you're one of those people who like likes to make the best of things, then I think you'd have fun in Port A. But um it's not like if you've never been to another beach, mm-hmm. then it's like fine. It's cool because you're like, "Whoa, we're at the ocean, man!" Hey, but if it's um, that sounded like uh, uh, like um, Shaggy from Scooby Doo there for a second. <laughs> um, but if uh, if if you've ever seen a beach before, don't don't go to a beach in in Texas. It's just my uh, advice. I I I uh I dig it. I go dig to that. go to literally any other beach. Well, if you're going to climb a mountain in the United States. Mount Rainier sounds like the one. So Mount Rainier is the tallest mountain in the continental United States. Wow. Shouldn't we 14, do training? I've never climbed 14, any mountain. You would have to do some training, yeah, to to do this somewhat successfully. You'd have to be in good shape and do some you know, go downtown and and walk up the the skyscraper stairwell multiple times 
You'd, you'd um, need to go to your uh, active release therapy, I would think, before we go to the mountain. I'm, I'm not doing it in the current in my current condition. Right. That's true. Um, uh, Mount Denali, or Mount McKinley, as it was called when I was growing up in Alaska. Denali? So, like the yeah. car? <laughs> Isn't that what it's named? Is that what it's named after? Yes. The Denali. Yes. The Denali is named after the mountain, right. Mount McKinley, which is the largest mountain in all of North America. The tallest land-based mountain on earth. Huh. The tallest land-based mountain on earth. <laughs> now, I don't know says. what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> That's what it says. What, what are the Himalayas? Are they not land-based? They must not be land-based. What are they based on? Here's what it says. Denali, also known as Mount McKinley, is the tallest land-based <laughs> mountain on earth with a vertical rise of about 18,000 feet, as well as the highest mountain peak in North America with a summit elevation of 20,310 feet above sea level. Oh, so, so I guess what this is saying is that Mount Everest, <laughs> although it is the <laughs> tallest mountain on earth. What's it based on, if not land? Well, the, <laughs> I mean, the, there's got to be something under it. The vertical rise of Everest uh -huh. is only 12,000 feet because the base of Everest starts uh, up, you know, somewhere at 12,000 feet. Probably the base camp is already that high. Whereas, uh, so in other words, in other words, you're already at, at elevation where the mountain be begins, you're already high up. You're already at tw 12. You're already almost as high as, as Mount Rainier. Right. But is that what land-based mountain means? <laughs> I don't know. That's what it says. Well, and uh, now I'm now I'm on the Wikipedia page. I don't Entire, see. Okay. Land-based means entirely above sea level. That's what that means. <laughs> That's what land-based mountain a land-based mountain means the whole of the mountain begins above at sea level. Oh, I see. So, like the so like if you're standing the, at the foot of the mountain, you're at sea level. The island of Hawaii would be the tallest mountain on the planet if you started at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, okay, right, because it's it's a mountain under the ocean. Sure, it's a volcano, isn't it? Right, and so only. Only the amount of it that's sticking above the water is what we count, but right. it, it actually goes all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. If you took the ocean away, it would be a very tall mountain. But why is Everest, which does not have any component under the ocean, mm -hmm. not also considered land-based? I think I think because if you were approaching Mount Everest, right, and you're at, you're at the bottom, you're at base camp. That the distance, nah, that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, it's got to have something to do with the vertical rise from the bottom. The bottom, yeah. So are you saying that Everest, from wherever the official bottom of Everest is, is not as tall from the bottom of Everest to the, the highest peak as uh, Mount McKinley? Yeah, McKinley is 18,000 feet straight up. Straight up. And uh, Everest is only 12,000. I mean, Everest is no longer even on my radar then. It's something to do. I'll just go to McKinley. So, yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's just it's taller, 
taller from the bottom. The GMC Denali. Anyway, if you uh, if you ever go around um, Denali. Is it Denali or Denali? Well. Paul always used no, to say Denali. I am famous for like willfully mispronouncing things, even though I've heard them a thousand times. I have always said Denali. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Denali. I mean, I'm, yeah, I guess you could say both things. You cannot say Spokane. It is Spokane. Hmm. Um, but you guess Denali, Denali. Uh, I'm I'm going to say Denali. But when you're around that mountain, it is really a very, very big mountain. Um, so it's, uh, you know, like the, the, I'm now reading now, now I'm just going to, this whole podcast is just going to be reading from Wikipedia. <laughs> sure. But the, uh, the Denali like reserve, the, the, the area that the mountain occupies is 9,400 square miles. And the entire state of Massachusetts is only 8,200 square miles. So just the mountain alone, the Denali Park, Mm -hmm. is considerably larger than the state of Massachusetts. That gives you a sense of what it's like to to perceive this mountain because you really have to be in the air to really get a good look at that from the air. Like you fly up to it and you think, and I've, I've flown up close to it. What seemed close. And I, to the point that I have said to the pilot and, and have felt very much like, aren't we, dangerously close to the mountain. Like, shouldn't we peel off here? (laughs) Cause it seems like we're like really close to the mountain. And the pilot says we're 50 miles away. Oh my God. From the mountain. And it feels like you're just going to crash into it because it's so big. You you lose all sense of proportion. Right. Like your sense of scale flies out the window because you're, not used to seeing that's almost like a terrifying feeling, isn't it? It's, it's just extraordinary. I mean, that mountain, even from the, I mean, my friend, and I've mentioned him already once today, Peter, uh, the famous, uh, hockey injury mm. friend who's an attorney, an Alaskan attorney and, uh, and a good friend, although I haven't spoken to him recently. And then I saw on Facebook, that he was, you know, he's standing there with a woman and I was like, huh, Peter's got a girlfriend. And I was like, Oh, they got married. Peter got married to a woman. I didn't even know about it. I sent him a text. Did you get married? He's like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, we've certainly drifted out of touch. (laughs) Got married. Uh, but he has a little family cabin up, um, uh, like in the McKinley, uh, region. And there are certain places where you kind of walk out over um, a cliff and there's the mountain. And it, it takes up your entire field of vision. That's what's extraordinary. I mean, we're, we were hundreds of miles from it, but standing where we were and looking at it, it 
there's no part in your periphery where you're not still looking at the mountain. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really uh, there's nothing like it. And and I I didn't know that it was the tallest mountain from its foot to its head. Uh, but it makes sense to me. Well, apparently, I mean, you you're not an expert on land land based. Uh, I'm not mountains. I'm not. It's you know it's uh, it's impressive. And the thing about climbing Denali is that it's it's a massive undertaking. And most people, I think, start at the climbing base camp, which is already very high. Nobody climbs Denali from the ground. They fly up and they land on a glacier and they, um, you know, they start from there. Uh, but, like, Denali kills people all the time. Um And kills them in, you know, like the Everest thing where you you get up there and then you don't get down in time and a storm comes or right. something goes wrong and, uh, and you're up there and you just don't, don't make it down. That happens on Denali, but like, I, again, reading aloud from a webpage, not Wikipedia, but another webpage, it says uh, over 100 people have died, but of those 100, 44 of them have never been found. Really? They just poof. They're getting abducted by Bigfoot or something. Yeah. Taken just, to an alternate dimension. Just gone. They fall and they get, they fall into a, a glacier or they just, you can, you can, it's a place where you can fall and just fall, fall for uh, thousands of which would be really bogus. Not how I want to go. Whereas Mount Rainier, if you're in reasonably good shape and the weather is good and you're, you know, you're uh, prepared, like you can walk up to the top of it. I mean, you have to hike and ice climb and stuff, but you can make it like Joel McHale, uh, Seattleite and, uh, noted Los Angeles comedian and personage television personality joel just summited rainier i think last summer hmm. so it's like it's a doable. doable thing yeah doable. and i mean he's in good he's in fine shape he's sure. a he's a, a uh, athletic man but i think you and i and a team of 18 um kooks right could if we set about to do it, if we set it as a goal to do in our lives, we could summit Mount Rainier. Uh, something we talk could about do. a talk about a tweet up. Yeah, that would be the ultimate tweet up. Wow, I really would. You don't sound convinced. No, I mean I'm I'm convinced. It's you know I feel like if you're going to do it, you get really you you got to do it right. You got to really train for it. You know, you'd have to to do some real preparation for that. I think. Yeah, I feel. you'd want to get T-shirts made. Yeah. You'd want to. Everybody gets a challenge coin yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's something to aspire to. Yeah. But I'm going to need to go. Like it's, get, it's not the kind of thing you just say. Oh, well, let, let's go this afternoon. It's no, something you no, no. you prepare for. I'm going to need to go get. Um, 
ultimate release here. Yes. Because otherwise I'm not I'm not gonna make it up my stairs. Yeah.